I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Maturity enriches unity. We've talked about unity. We've talked about that we're to preserve and protect it. It's not, it's not something we create, but it's something we maintain. We've talked about operating with a spirit of humility and gentleness and love and, and accepting one another. That's just the foundation. Now the Apostle Paul is going to tell you what is the core issue of enriching unity. So if we get these things and, and we, 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 he says, here's what it really takes to enrich unity in the body of Christ. You see, individual spiritual maturity enriches the body of Christ with the ability to minister and attract the unchurched. As I grow up individually in my faith, as I begin to mature in my understanding of Scripture and application of Scripture, and as I realize how God wants to do something in my life with my spiritual gifts, with my spiritual passion, with my spiritual understanding, with my knowledge of Him and His Word, and the power of grace working in my life, I begin to realize He wants to do something with me more than just kind of showing up on Sunday morning. So once I realize that, then I'm going to say, Lord, how do you want me now to fit into the body of Christ? And how do you want me to build up the body of Christ? And how do you want me to be a part of something far bigger than me and that what I can do by myself? And as that process takes place, it's called maturity. I'm now growing in my faith, in my grace, in my knowledge and understanding. I'm growing in my spiritual gifts. Measure of faith is added to measure of faith. I can believe more for, from God today than I could a year ago. I can do more for God today than I could a year ago because I have grown. It's pretty much like children. As we, uh, the baby can't do much but toddle around. But there comes a time that, that, that toddler can crawl and, that, that, and, and, and begin to climb and begin to run and begin to uh, grow stronger. Uh, there was a time for a long time. My son Brad's not here yet, is he? Okay. Oh, good. I'll talk about him. Can you hear? Um, my son Brad is uh, about 6'5 and a pretty solid young man. And, uh, you know, I played basketball all my life, and we used to go out and we'd play basketball and we'd, we'd get at it. And I want you to know, there was a time when he was like a junior. And a freshman and sophomore in high school, he thought he could beat me in basketball. He thought. He hoped, but he couldn't. Because I knew all the tricks. I knew all the stuff. I had, not, had wisdom, had experience, had understanding. I knew how to do things, and just I could beat him. He was taller than me. He was faster than me. But I could beat him. But all of a sudden... He grew in his experience, and he grew in his strength. And son, I can't stop him. Man, he wears me out. I mean, I, I, I just can't beat him. He has matured. Now, there's times the devil wears us out because we just aren't mature. But if we grow, man, all of a sudden we walk in victory. We wearing him out. We are winning day by day, hour by moment by moment. We're beginning to walk in victory. So here's why I want to share this with you today. I want you to get this because I'm going to talk about a couple of areas the devil seems to try to overpower us in. And we need to get past that. So here we go. 
Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, two verses. Now, he's talked about how we can grow up into maturity. That's the fullness of Christ, okay? Looking like Christ. When we're mature, we look like him. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and the, and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ. He's saying, now guys, we've got to keep growing. We've not yet arrived, but we're getting better. But let's get to where we're supposed to be. Let's don't stop halfway on the journey. And so he's saying, here's how you get there. Here's how you know you are mature. He gives us two things. How am I getting better, stronger, more, more powerful for the kingdom? He says, first of all, you're no longer going to be like little children tossed to and fro. The first thing is this, that spiritual maturity is obvious when we display stability in Christian doctrine. When I, I, when I can really realize that I have embraced what this book says about God about Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about the gospel of grace, about the power of faith, and it becomes a fabric of my life and of my thinking, of my behavior and my motivation, I am now becoming stable in what I know to be true. And therefore, I'm not wondering about, you know, was Jesus really God? I'm not wondering about, are you saved by grace or by works? I'm not wondering about, the various things that sometimes we are so unsure about because I've now come to grow in knowledge of this book. It's become a part of my life. The Holy Spirit has bore witness to its truth and it becomes a part of me. So now I am stable in my doctrine. That's important. Doctrine. You see, he said, don't be like little children tossed to and fro by the waves. Uh, if you've ever gone to the beach, and I, I like to go, and my thing is watching people. I get worlds of illustration from watching people. And so I like to go to the beach and, and, uh, and watch. I, I like to watch how, how, I like to watch little kids. They, they, you know, little kids are, first of all, they're fearless. I mean, they'll just go out to the waters over their head. And uh, I'm going, wow, that's just pretty amazing. Uh, and then they, they, they'll do, just, they have, they'll dig a hole. I saw one dig a hole. I bet it was four feet just digging in the sand, going down. They just fell out of sight going into it, having a ball. But I watch them when they go in the water. It's kind of neat because the, they'll hit out in the water and they get out and they kind of get about their knees. And just little kids, you see them all of a sudden get out there and all of a sudden a wave comes and it knocks them down. I mean, just flop, flops them. They go flying. And sometimes they come up crying because they weren't expecting that. Sometimes they kind of come up there. You can tell they're a little shook and not sure they want to do it again. And, and you watch them and they get again. They get knocked down. Why are they getting knocked down? Because they're no match for the wave. They're, they lack stability. Now, it's kind of humorous because once while you watch a mom or a dad take them out there by the hand and hold them and kind of hold them up and have fun, laugh at them. And go, ah, this is great. We're having fun in the waves. And the waves are crashing. They're doing fine because mom and dad's hold on to them. And then mom and dad has a great idea or sense of humor. They decide to let go. And that kid's hit with a wave. goes flying everywhere. They don't have stability. He says maturity in the spiritual realm is when you have stability in your, in your doctrine of faith. You know what you believe, why you believe it, and not just that you believe anything that with conviction or sincerity, you believe what God has said with conviction and confidence. Big difference. He's saying that because in his time, like in the 21st century, there are opposing uh, views taught by false teachers out there. There's, there's 
uh, various groups of people that would teach things that would seduce you from truth. They would pull you away from biblically sound doctrine. And they do this, and they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're talking about various things. And they, as a matter of fact, the book of Galatians is what Paul dealt with where a church that had been founded on grace was now going back to works. And he said, who's bewitched you? What has happened to you? Who has seduced you? They lacked maturity. He had to go back to the things that were important. You see, here's what, when maturity is there, it's obvious in how we behave because we now behave by the book. It's very important. We're not like little children. We, we're not confused about doctrine. Guess I want to say something. I want to remind you of this. There is a universal body of Christ, which is every person who's come into saving faith with Christ. All around the globe, we are the body of Christ. Then there's the local body of Christ, which we're a part of the larger body, and that's the local church. And, and in that local church, there is... Again, the unity that, that complements and enriches the unity of the big body. Which means that my brother of another denomination is in the same body if he believes the book. Now, if he don't believe the book, if he's got a different God he's worshiping, or he, he can't believe that Christ has gotten the flesh, and he believes say by works, we're not in the same body. Okay, we're not in the same body. We, we, hey, may be a great person. We may like each other. We may sit and talk, but we're not in the same body. Because that's what this book says. But if I can embrace the doctrine of grace and salvation and the, the, the doctrine of Christ being God in the flesh and confess him as Lord and come in the flesh, then I am now... Uh, into the body of Christ, I have a spiritual identity, I have a spiritual birth, and I'm in this spiritual body universally that operates locally that, again, enhances and enriches the body universally. And so all of a sudden we're having this great moment of understanding God has got this thing so well designed, it's incredible. We need each other, got to have each other. So we don't need to be dogging one another, fussed about one another, complaining about one another, judging one another because we need each other to get what we're supposed to get in the fullness of Christ that we may look like Jesus. And that's what he's trying to say, guys. If you're mature, it's going to show because all of a sudden you quit having these foolish, foolish divisions and factions. Immaturity is evident in division. You say, Pastor, now, why would you say that? Because it's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. All right, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brother, I will not speak to you as spiritual people. Whoa. Meaning spiritual adults. But as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. You guys are immature. I'm having to, I'm having to notch it down a little bit so I can get it to you. You know? And, and so... I fed you milk, not solid food, because you were not yet able to receive it. He said, I can't get you the good stuff yet. You can't have the T-bone steak because we're still working on milk. All right? Because you're still fleshly. For since flesh is a simple reflection of my immaturity spiritually. So I fall back on the things of the flesh, the resources of the flesh, the attitudes of the flesh, because I'm not yet spiritually mature. I'm saved, but I'm not mature. All right, here we go. So he says, look. Uh, since there is envy and strife among you. He says, I know your babies because I see the way you behave with one another. Oh. Act like little children. Oh, we've all watched little children, haven't we? Oh, you need to watch them. 
They're amazing because they are little children, and they just begin to do what little children do, which is be very immature. And the stuff comes out. They've not yet learned how to discipline it or structure or channel their energy or their attitudes. They're just kind of real open. And he's saying, this is what causes division in the body of Christ. When the Baptist wants to fuss about the Pentecostal, and Pentecost wants to fuss about the Baptist, and the Assembly of God wants to fuss about the Nazarene, and Nazarene wants to fuss about the Episcopalian, and on and on and on and on. And all Paul says, look, we've got to get past all this because we're trying to accomplish something that's, that's huge in the kingdom. And why, and then, but we won't get past that universally until we deal with it locally. And somehow we've got to grow up here. At First Baptist Linda, we need to be growing stronger, more mature, as the days pass by, we don't need to be where we've always been. We, and we can't fall back on what we used to be because that don't count. Where are we today? Where are we going to be tomorrow? What are we going to be in our maturity? Are we going to be stronger next year in our faith than we are today? Man, I, I, you see, we're not supposed to diminish in faith and power, we're supposed to grow. And so he says, I want the stability to take place. And so, man, let's get on the same page. You see, we're all learning. Nobody's got it all down yet. We're all learning. We're, we're, and we're learning at different levels and rates because of our commitment, our faith. The important thing is that we're all on the same page doctrinally, which is this book. And we're all going to end up where Christ wants us to be if we're on the same page. So that's what we got to know. So we get there. So it says, here's what I want you to see. Uh, can I tell you why, why? Let me tell you why unchurched people are confused with us. You ever heard the way we try to describe ourselves when we're talking to one another or talking about one another? And the average unchurched guys listen to our conversations. They hear things like, well, are you dispensationalist? No, premillennial, postmillennial, I'm, I'm millennial. Oh, well, what about conservative, moderate, liberal? Yeah. Full gospel? Oh, traditional, no, blended, contemporary. Emerging church, emergent church. <laughs> oh, I'm Calvinist, no, I'm Arminian. No wonder they're confused we talk to them. Did y'all understand what I just said? People talk about this all the time. Guys, can I tell you, these are the labels we wear that sometimes we're willing to fight over and die over. And the unchurched guys just won't know is there a bomb in Gilead for his hurting soul and heart and life. He doesn't care about the labels. Actually, I think labels are sometimes to feed our pride and ego more than anything else. They're either uniquely different or better than, and we do this kind of stuff all the time. No wonder they're going, I don't, I don't know how to define you guys. We don't know how to define ourselves. Guys, I don't care about the labels. I don't want to be known. I want to be known. I want to march under the banner of the cross. I want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not worried about the labels. He's placed me in the Baptist church. I love being in the Baptist church. I may get to be a vice president of Georgia Baptist Convention. That'd be fun and great. But that doesn't define me <laughs> in my relationship with Christ. It's defined by my relationship of grace through faith and the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. And my allegiance first and to him. The unchurched guy is trying to figure out who we are. 
I go, man, I can't figure you guys out. I don't want to wear the labels of all this stuff. Because the greatest label I can wear is follower of Christ. I don't need other stuff. Other stuff will take care of itself. Why would I don't want to accept a lesser label than Jesus? Man, I, 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 so I say this because somehow we got to stop doing this with one another, with each other, with churches and pastors. I, I'll tell you this. I, it kills me to say this because every once in a while pastors can become, they, hey, pastors can be very jealous and cause strife. Immaturity. They want to talk about another church that's doing well. They want to fuss about the church doing good, doing something different. They want to fuss about it. Now, why do they want to do that? Got a buddy of mine. He's a good friend of mine. He loves Jesus. We're on the same page. Uh, and we, I hope, compliment and encourage one another throughout the days as we spend time together. Uh, I value his friendship, and I value his commitment to Christ. I value what his church is doing. And it kills me when, when another church wants to, to criticize and say, well, they're just doing a circus over there. Let me tell you something. I don't care if he puts up three tents and brings in lions in cages. If he's winning people to Jesus, that is okay with me. Listen, I, I get, what is this thing we get to decide, well, I don't like what they're doing, so I'm going to criticize it. Because they're growing and I'm not. Let me tell you what, the guys who want to complain about guys that are growing are really compl- bringing in diving themselves because they're not doing anything. We ain't, so that's what, we don't need to be doing this kind of stuff. So uh, he's saying, let's stabilize our doctrine. If we're on the same page, let's don't worry about the uniquenesses and the differences and things of that nature because we're all going to be growing in spirit to where God wants us to be. We're going to end up how we're supposed to end up. Let's just be committed to the journey and bring as many people with us as we can. All right? So he says there's got to be doctrinal soundness. These are very important. Now, but let me go to the next thing. Spiritual maturity is evident when we speak the truth in love. Ah, the sign of maturity is how I tell the truth. I realize that I need to have this stability in my faith and belief system found on the God's, God's Word. Now I need to take what I have known. See, we think maturity is knowledge. You can know a lot of stuff and do stupid things with it. Now it's what I do right with what I know. It's I've learned sometimes from trial and error, sometimes from being stupid, Boy, I was stupid. I don't need to do that again. That I learn. I grow. <laughs> That's how we all learn and grow. We go, boy, I should have done that different. Or we need to do this thing. I need to think differently. I need to put myself in a different situation. And we begin to grow. And so we say, here's what it's going to take. I, I need to get where I can be effective. And so now, one of the ways I know that I'm mature is how I tell the truth. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. Uh, to tell the truth without love is brutality. Okay. And to love without truth is hypocrisy. Got to get this. Because we're almost, in our pride, we say, well, I'm just telling the truth. Why are you telling the truth? And how are you telling the truth? Because the Bible says that's really important to uh, define your maturity level. If you want to, so, so as I look at this, Immature people share the truth without love. Brutalized. They share sometimes from selfishness, anger. A couple of things, now that I have your attention. <laughs> this, is, this is new carpet, new pews, and we're going to ask you not to bring more drink or food in here, just out of respect for this, okay? All right, okay, we all. 
Yeah. All right. Except for this thing of yogurt. I'm fixing to do something. Okay. Now, that's the thing of yogurt. And, and, and you're looking at it, and, and you're going, what's he going to do? Well, I'm going to hit it. And that's okay, because we'll clean this up in a minute. It's just water-based. It'll be okay. Uh, so here's what happens. When you tell the truth about love, I don't care how much truth it is. Hear what I'm about to say, because we kind of, well, it's just the truth, preacher. I'm just telling the truth. If you tell the truth without love, you've taken a ball bat and literally busted something open. You've caused damage. Now, I wasn't really going to do that because I understand this. But the truth is, some of you are wondering, you'd already got your blood pressure rising because I was fixing to break this on a new carpet. <laughs> said, man, I love my preacher, but I'm going to kill him when I get through. Yeah, I'm going to get a whole thing. And the truth is, we say, man, I don't want anybody to mess up a carpet. Man. If you tell the truth without love, you'll more than likely mess up a life you cannot repair. I think that's more important than carpet. I wouldn't hurt the carpet. I like the carpet. But I, I, I found sometimes I've hurt people unnecessarily. Uh, this thing of what is the truth. Man, God's taught me that pretty much now I, I have to spend, you probably don't, but I have to. When I got to deal with something that's hard and, and it's going to be somewhat confrontational or conflicting, I, I have to spend about two or three weeks praying over it. That my heart gets right. That I can sit down in love and talk to somebody. Because if I do it too soon, it may not have that on the love. Now, I've had to learn that because I didn't always do that. I want to tell you, this principle of sharing the truth and love will work in your home with your wife and your husband and with your children. It'll work in the marketplace. It'll work, obviously, in the church. It'll work in the community. It'll work because it's a biblical principle that says, if I share the truth in love, I am, I am now able to minister and I attract people to what is taking place. Sometimes the truth may hurt. understand that. But guys, let me tell you, when the truth, if, you, if it's going to hurt, it needs to hurt with a sense of, I got to tell you something, but I want you to know I'm going to season it with grace that we can be redemptive when this is over, that we can be restoring when this is over, that we can... Somehow be friends when this is over. It's not to say, well, it was the truth. It was just the truth. I can't help it. They got their feelings hurt. If you didn't tell them in love, you can't help it. We say stuff. I don't know why we think it's okay to say stuff that comes across our mind. Most of it's never be repeated. It comes across our mind. But sometimes we say it. We kind of do it. And and think, well, you know, it's just the truth. You know, it's the truth that I'm getting older. But I don't want everybody talking about it all the time. Okay? I, I know it's the truth. I'm getting older. And it's probably the truth that you can say, oh, you know, I think the preacher's putting on a little weight. Well, yeah, but I, I don't think that needs to be told all the time. You understand? See, truth, we can someone think it's the truth. It's okay to hurt people or to make people feel bad. Where do you come up with that? Well, it's the truth. Well, let me give you an illustration. First Samuel chapter 21. A guy named Doeg. Sounded like a, 
a, a name of a restaurant serves breakfast, donuts and eggs, dough egg. Dough egg was uh, one of uh, uh, captains of Saul's servants, King Saul over Israel. And he was, uh, Saul was paranoid, afraid of David who had been anointed king even while he was alive and Jonathan, his son, was alive. And, and, and uh, so he was on this tirade to kill David. David had done nothing wrong but support his king, but the paranoia and the insecurity had seemed to take over Saul's thinking, and he was certainly irrational. And, it, and he spiritually, he became just destitute spiritually. But uh, David's on the run. He went to Nob. Ahimelech was the priest there, and Ahimelech was, was serving, and David said, look, i got to have some bread for my guys. We were hungry and we're tired, and... and uh, and I, I, we need some bread. And, of course, the thing was, well, have you guys been consecrated? Give him the bread that's consecrated. And David said, yeah, you can. And, and he gave him the bread to eat. And he said, I, I need a sword. Uh, you got any weapons? I got a sword. He said, I got Goliath's sword. And David said, yeah, that's a good sword. I remember when I cut that guy's head off with That's a pretty good sword. I'll take that sword. And so uh, he takes off. He eats and he's supplied. Well, Doeg was kind of in the shadows there. And he saw what had took place. Turn to 1 Samuel 21. Y'all need to look at that. Y'all need to look at that. Because uh, I don't want you to think I'm making this up. It's almost too good to... You can't believe it. 1 Samuel 21. Well, Saul's in it. So David leaves and Doeg leaves and he catches up with Saul and Saul is, in a, you know, Saul is, is constantly paranoid, and so Doeg, he's heard Saul talk about David's trees and what's going on, and, and a lot of people are plotting against him, and Doeg decides to be a real friend to Saul. He's going to stroke his ego. He's actually going to tell the truth with the hopes of upgrading his status in Saul's eyes. He's actually sharing the truth for his own self-esteem, selfishness. And what's sad is when he tells it, he doesn't tell it in such a way that it's actually true, even though it's accurate. Watch this. Then Doeg the Edomite, Edomites incidentally are, are symbolic of the men of the flesh, who was in charge of Saul's servants, answered, I saw Jesse's son come to Himelech, son of Ahitub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions. He also gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Now listen to me. Everything I just read is true. Every bit of it's true. It is absolutely true. He said, here's what happened. Jesse's son was there, David, and he came, and, and the, priest, the priest did his priestly duty of, of uh, inquiring for the Lord, which was not the first time that happened for David. That was a normal thing. And he said he fed him at, according to the, the, the laws of consecration, and he also gave him a sword. Not a bit of that is untrue. But the motive was that of self-esteem, and, and he had a personal agenda of wanting to become more in Saul's eyes. He was trying to enlarge himself at Ahimelech's expense. Now watch this. Watch this, okay? He, he says this, all right? He said this after Saul has been on a tirade about people going behind his back doing stuff, all right? Now here, so he says this. Well, now he's lit a fire under Saul, and Saul says, okay. He goes to Nob. He brings the Ahimelech out, and he said, why did you conspire against me? He said, I didn't conspire against you. 
I simply did what I've always done. I, I inquire of, of, of God for the men. I, I, I did nothing wrong in the ceremonial law. I did nothing wrong in government law. But Doeg had already shared a truth with the wrong motive. And Saul's heart was so angry. And he said, okay, I want you to kill Ahimelech and the other 84 priests with him for treason. And the guard said, we ain't going to do it. Saul said, we ain't going to do that. No, sir, we ain't going to kill. No, we ain't going to kill the priest. He said, Doeg, you kill him. I wonder if Doeg would have stepped up and said, I know what I told you was true, Saul, but you need to understand that they didn't commit treason. But the truth is that him wanting to grow in his esteem before Saul for his own selfishness and his own personal agenda, he did not go ahead and say they did not commit treason. See, when you tell the truth in love, you make sure that it's supposed to help and not hurt. Or you can tell the truth and hope to smash, the, smash something so much that you make a mess with everything. How bad can it be? Well, Doeg killed 85 priests that day. Men had done nothing wrong. And then Saul gave the order for Nod to be destroyed, and he went, left through, and went through Nod and killed every man, woman, child, and baby. Because Doeg told the truth without love. Pretty serious. We kind of think, well, you know, I'm just going just to tell it like it is, but I'm going to tell the law. I'm going to do it now. If you're mature, you enrich the unity by telling the truth in love that doesn't allow for what happened with the priest at Nob. <laughs> many people I, I got a quote here by William Barclay many people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than all the theological arguments in the world and more people have been driven from the church by the hardness and ugliness of so called Christianity than by all the doubts in the Bible Guys, I want us to grow up. I want us to be strong and mature. I believe God has something incredible for us. And it's time we rise to the occasion. And it's time we put the ball back down and operate with a soft touch. Maturity enriches unity. Immaturity destroys it. Let's bow together.